following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Kids, you can head out now with Miss Janice back there in the back and go have a great time uh, with her. That this set part of our service each week when we send the kids out is intentional because we want the children to learn in their own level. We want the children to be here within our worship service. It is a conviction that we have uh, that we worship together as families, that the children learn uh, how to worship, what worship is about. But then on the teaching, we want them to go and learn at their level. So that's why uh, a couple of things. Just for you to know, some of you come from churches where you walk in the front door and it's kids go this way and students go that way and only adults are in the worship service. It's our conviction and, and my personal one that that's never how worship was designed to be within the church. That we worship together. That, that I want our children to see us and to learn from us and to also be reinforced. This is a way that we reinforce our vows to the parents to help them to raise their children in the love and admonition of the Lord. So when we look around and the kid goes, well, maybe it's not just mom and dad who are nuts. They can see a few hundred other people who are just as nuts as mom and dad coming together and saying, this God is worthy of my praise and adoration, and I will gather together with others and worship him. And so we come together each week and we carve out a time to worship the Lord, that we do it as a community of believers. And this morning, we are finishing our series on Summer in the Psalms with Psalm 145, which is a psalm of David, a psalm about worship, a psalm about celebration, a psalm about praise. The Psalter, the, the collection of all of the psalms, has been called the worship book of the Bible. That it is a place where we can go and learn how to worship God. All the different component parts of that, uh, of how to praise Him for His magnificent splendor, how to engage Him with uh, the humanity of our hearts that we come and we lament before God, uh, of life is difficult and we need Him uh, to help us and to be reminded uh, of His care for us, that we come with deep conviction into His presence, that we learn of this searching God uh, who comes and knows us so intimately. So the Psalms are a great place for the Christian to spend a good deal of time and to learn about worship. And this morning we're going to be finishing this series with David, the king, writing a hymn and saying, I will extol you, my God and king. I will bless your name forever and ever. It's David coming into the presence of God and saying, God, when I consider you, when I consider the magnitude of who you are and the smallness of who I am, but this incredible condescending relationship in the most positive sense of that word, God condescended himself from the beauties of heaven, from his place of holiness and righteousness through his son to come and to have relationship with a rebellious creation. And he said, I'm doing this. Because of my great mercy and love for you. And that it is the best possible thing for you. And so David engaged that fully with every bit of who he was. His thoughts and emotions with his heart. With his physical expressions. And he said, God, when I consider this, it leads me to give you value and worth. You see, worship, that word, as many of you already know, 
is an old English word that comes from worthiness, or something had worth and value, and so you would worship it. You were saying as you watched this person come down in a parade, and you yelled at them, and you raised hands towards them, that they were worth that. It was of value. They had weightiness. They had substance. And you looked at them with that. And it's the same now for the Christian. That we look at God, and we go, you are worthy of our praise. That there's something about engaging with God that moves us. There's an exuberance that we will talk about in a little bit. A beauty of what takes place. And so if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Psalm 145 and hear the very word of the Lord. A song of praise of David. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all that He has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all His ways, and kind in all His works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him. But all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. May he add his blessing to the reading and to the hearing of it. Amen. Worship. An incredibly broad topic. One that we could literally set up a series and go... Uh, throughout this entire ministry year and not get to the full depth of what it is. All the intricacies and the nuances of what does it mean to worship God, to be a worshiper uh, of God. So today, we are going to just simply touch on a few things that this psalm brings out uh, that David wants us to look at. It's a primer, as it were. It, It points to just a few things that I think Uh, come from this psalm. The first of which is simply this. Worship is an ongoing action into which we are joining. 
Worship is an ongoing action into which we are joining. We are not the initiators of worship. It didn't originate uh, with us. That worship is going on, and for the believer, we are simply stepping into the flow of the stream of worship that is already taking place. The psalmist says that creation worships its creator. They, that is your great works, they shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. I'll declare your greatness. They, your creation, your works, shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud to your righteousness. He gives human characteristics, as it were, uh, to creation. And he says creation will speak Creation will declare. Creation will pour forth. Creation will sing aloud. That creation, this inanimate creation that we have, is, as it were, already engaged in worship. Jesus in Luke 19, I believe, is where He says, hey, if you're quiet, the rocks will cry out. For you see, when the King enters into His sanctuary, when the Creator enters into creation, creation is bound to respond. He's saying it's just a natural effect that it knows its Creator, and because of how it has been made, how it has been designed, it naturally responds to God. That the mountains sing forth His praise. That the ocean declares the glory and the might of who God is. That all of creation pours forth praise to God, its Creator. Folks, we're joining in something that's already taking place. Do you recognize it? We truly live in one of the most spectacular places in all of the world. That the low country is a glorious glimpse into a part of God's created order. That we look around and we see creation already doing its job. That the ocean, it's simply by being the ocean, points to the creative beauty and power of who God is. That the storms as they roll in point to the power and the nature of who God is. Naturally, they don't have to be conjoled into doing it. They don't have to be begged into doing it. They don't have to be taught how to do it. They simply recognize, this is my Creator. And this is what I'm going to do in His presence. This is what I was designed to do. I was designed to worship. And so we're joining in to an ongoing action that's already taking place around us. I want you to start thinking about that as you look around in creation. That all of its splendor and beauty is pointing us to the worth and the value of who God is. And it's doing it even under the scarring of sin. It says that it's still being at some level suppressed and oppressed by the fall. But one day, all of creation will be made right and new. And it will sing forth and burst into jubilant song. That all of it, when the King enters in, will be changed forever. That we're entering into something that's already going on within creation. But it's going on also within heaven itself. This psalm doesn't allude to it, but I want to make mention that worship is already going on in heaven. That not only are we as Christians engaging in what's already going on in the created order that we see, it's already going on in the created order that we don't see. Listen to John's revelation in in chapters 5 and chapters 8. And when he, that is Christ, had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. 
Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and honor, and power, and might be to our God forever and ever. So let it be done. Amen. In heaven itself, oh, that God would be so gracious to pull apart the heavens for a moment and let us see what's happening in His presence that the angels and the saints who've gone before us, all of those who are gathered around, worship Him. For He is worthy of their praise. They fall down before Him. They speak and they just run out of words. To You be glory and honor and power and dominion and all of these things forever and ever. It just flows from them. For you see, you were designed to worship something. You were designed. It is in your hard wiring. It is in your DNA that you will worship something. The question is, what are you worshiping? What in your life has the most worth? What in your life has the most value? Because whatever it is, whatever you've determined, then you are bending the knee and you are serving it. You are saying, you're worthy of my life. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your wealth. Maybe it's success. Maybe it's college. Maybe it's getting the right person to marry you. Maybe it's whatever it is. But you're saying, you're worthy of my life and I will sacrifice whatever it takes in order for me to gain that. Look around. We're worshiping something. The question is, what are you worshiping? What is the object of your worship? That is the most important thing that you can determine today. Because you see, we've said worship is an ongoing thing. We're already worshiping something. Creation's already worshiping. The heavens are already worshiping. We're worshiping. The question begins, uh, comes to now, what is it you're worshiping? And here's how I would phrase this next point. Our worship begins with consideration. Our worship begins with consideration. Consider the object of your worship. Consider what you're worshiping. Listen to the words of David here. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. He goes, God, you're my object. On your glorious splendor, on your majesty, on the wondrous works that you have wrought within creation. As I consider everything that you've done, this David who who murdered him, who lied, who took a woman who wasn't his wife, who had done horrible things within his life, to preserve his power, who had done these things. This David said, as I consider your wondrous works, when I consider all of your majesty in mercy and in grace towards me, and then I look at the heavens, and I look at all of these things, I meditate on them. The word meditate is a word that comes from a very simple place. It's that of a cow, as it were, eating grass, 
And as they chew the grass, they gain a certain amount of nourishment and nutrient from it. And then they would swallow, and then they would regurgitate, and they would chew the grass again, and they would get a little bit more, and then they would swallow, and they would regurgitate. And you may be going, that's a gross picture. But it's a picture that's saying this. They are over and over mining, as it were, that grass for nourishment. They are going back. They are considering it. They are meditating on it. They are having it as their object. And David is saying, my object... The object that I am considering more than any other object in all of the world, more than anything else that is involved in my life, I am considering God and I'm considering both His works of creation and the character of Him Himself, of who He is. Not only what He's done, but who He is. Think about considering His works. I've said, and I truly believe it, I'm not part of the Chamber of Commerce here I think we live in one of the greatest, if not the greatest, part of our country. What we experience every day and take for granted. I was reminded yesterday of that. Out on a boat with my family, and we were talking about the water of all things. And people come and they go, gosh, your water's kind of brown, it's kind of murky. And my boys reminded me, well, you know, this is some of the best and cleanest and most incredible water in all of the world. It is filled with some of the most incredible nourishment and nutrients. And that's why we have an ecosystem here that is so plentiful, that the fish are so plentiful, that we're one of the few places in all the world that dolphins stay year-round. That we're this place that has, as it were, I wouldn't go swimming out in Port Royal, just in case you were wondering, one of the greatest places to, for tiger sharks to breed and to grow there. That off the shore, uh, great whites are, are out there. Uh, that it's this incredible place. You're going, Bill, this isn't helping. I'm terrified. <laughs> but you sit and you look and you think, all right here. It's all right here around us. And we look and yesterday I had the privilege of getting a new friend, Tyler, who's here this morning. And we were together and we were having lunch and Tyler's never seen uh, the ocean and he had been out playing in the ocean. And he'd never been on a boat out on the water here. And so we were able to take him out on the boat. And it was as if God said, hey, I just want to show him something really cool. Because we live in one of the few places in all of the world where dolphins do thrash feeding. Where they come and they smack their fish up against the shore and then they go feed on them. And we're right there uh, in Broad Creek. And right up along, we're cruising in the boat. There's wind in our hair. We're having a great time. We're laughing and just having this fun time. And we see the dolphins up there on the shore. And he goes, look! It's like, what? We just hit the brakes. Tool it down and we go over. And there they are. And the fascination of this, and it was as if God said, I just want to show off a little bit. Because I'm going to tell the dolphins to do this for someone who's never seen them. So they can just be amazed by my creation. They can be amazed that I'm a God who does this and the exuberance and the life that we saw and experienced through his experiencing of it was awesome. So Tyler, I appreciate you going out with me yesterday on the boat. I enjoyed it because sometimes we need to be reminded that the creation points us to an awesome God. That we look around and we go, he did this for us. That we would look up and go, you're awesome. And too often we walk around and go, it's a little bit too hot and humid. A little too much rain. Man, a little bit murky. A little this. Instead of going, what an awesome, magnificent, splendorous God that is there. That's what David was saying. Look at creation. 
consider for a moment how God took nothing. Nothing. By the way, not a fair fight. Let God go up against an evolutionist and say, you start with what you have and I'll start with what I have, which is nothing, and see where we go. Because God speaks into nothing and everything that we have, the complexity of who you are, the complexities of heaven and earth, that the earth, if it moved just a hint off of its axis, if it was one millimeter closer to the sun, would burn up and one part farther away would freeze to death. This God, in all of His extensive, complex power and majesty, holds it all together. We get to watch the eclipse and go, what an incredible God. Who holds these things together. David says, consider it. Just be quiet for a while. And sit. And look. He said, but don't stop there. Consider the one who made it all. Consider the person. Great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord's faithful in all of his works and kind in all of his work, faithful in all his words and kind in all of his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear Him, and He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. David is saying, I consider Him. And when I consider the greatness of God, it unravels me. His greatness is unsearchable. His greatness makes me feel small. It reminds me of my limited knowledge. We may think that we have 20-20 vision. John Calvin began his Institutes of the Christian Religion with saying this, that the object of your, your faith, God, has to be so large that it makes you be reminded of who you are. And he said this, you can think that you have great 20-20 vision, but go stare at the sun for a moment. You will realize that your vision is limited And it is only then that you look down and you realize accurately what life is about. And that's what David is saying here. God, when I consider you, I'm undone. I'm a pretty big deal, David would say. I'm the king. I'm the king of a growing nation. Expanding to its greatest dominion, as it were, ever. And yet I know this about my kingdom it'll come to an end one day because that's what human kingdoms do they end but you you're a king whose dominion is forever your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom you're always going to be on your throne i'm terrified that my throne is going to be taken from me there are people who attack my throne and i will be unseated and he may have already been unseated at this time by absalom and then took back power But God is one who is seated on His throne, never to be unseated. There's no one stronger than Him. He has dominion and power. And you look at Him and you go, oh man, this is awesome. 
Usain Bolt lost yesterday. The unbeatable sprinter of ten years lost. Humanity eventually decays and comes to an end of itself. But this king, he never loses. David is amazed by his character. That his blessing that the Lord gives isn't just to the righteous, but also to the unrighteous. What an awesome and amazing God who would bless those with a life of pleasure and of goodness even when they hate the Creator and don't give Him His due respect and His deserve. That He's righteous in all of His ways. Perfect and trustworthy. That He's kind. He's near to all who call upon Him. He hears and He saves. Folks, have you contemplated and considered for a moment your salvation? We so flippantly say, Oh yeah, I believed in Jesus when I was 16. Yeah, but have you followed that up with considering Him? He says over three times, He says, forever and ever. All the time, I'm going to do this. I'm going to praise You. I'm going to consider You every day. All the time. I'm going to think. I'm going to preach the Gospel to myself. And I'm going to remind myself that I was hopelessly lost. That I was a hater of God. I didn't want anything to do with Him. And God, rich in mercy, reached down and condescended to engage my sinful heart and to arrest it and to change my heart of stone and to give me a heart of flesh that would call out to Him, that would choose Him. The question is always, people go, oh, you're Presbyterian. And so you say, God chose us. Well, I think I chose God. And I say, yeah, we're both right. You would never, ever have chosen Him if He first had not condescended to say, I'm going to save you. And he changed the chooser so that the chooser would choose him. So everything in me said, yes, I want God. But he had to act first. I would never have followed him. And when I consider that, I'm amazed to think of the mercy of my God who loved me in that way. And then when I consider this faithful God, because I know this much about Bill McCutcheon, I've messed up a lot. I've run after other less wild, as it were, John Eldred said in those great words, less wild lovers. God who is the true lover of my soul. God who is the wild lover who says, Bill, I'm going to love you passionately. Don't go look after any other lover. Don't go after anyone else. And I constantly turn to the left and the right. And I say, maybe this lover will finally do this. Maybe this career. Maybe this thing. Maybe all of this. And God is so faithful. He's so loving. And when I consider that, it does something in me. He preserves those who love Him. He is just in all His ways and He destroys those who oppose Him. And so you think about all of these things and I want to introduce a word to you that you probably haven't used often. And it's the word savor. What David is introducing is the concept of savoring. It's of sitting at the meal and enjoying the first course and not worrying about when the second course is coming and talking with good friends and family around the meal and savoring every bite. And then having that main meal and maybe a paired wine or a Diet Coke or water with lemon or lime and you sit and you go, oh, it just enhances it all. It's so good. And you eat the bite and there's something almost guttural in you. You take the bite and you just go, "Mm." 
You savor it. And you sit with your friends and your family around the table or around the fire pit and you savor the moment. You simply say, I want to stay right here and absorb it all. And then your meal is coming to an end and then that cart rolls up with all the desserts on it. And you're like, oh, there's more? And you're like, well, creme brulee, of course. And you just sit and you savor the cracking of the sugar on top and the coolness of, uh, of the pudding underneath. And you take a bite and you just go, ah, oh, this is what I was made for. To enjoy this. This is why God gave us taste buds. This is awesome. And you forget Weight Watchers and you forget Whole30 for just a few moments. And you go, ah. Oh. And in savoring it, you honor both the meal and the cook. And the moment. God wants you to savor Him. Savor His goodness. Let it just drip. Let it just be. And in it, you're honoring Him. You're just sitting and going like David. When I consider the heavens and your handiwork, the stars and all of the heavens, what is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou dost care for him? but you made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and with honor. And David was moved because he considered God. When's the last time you just turned off everything else? Take your blasted phone and throw it into another room and just sit and savor what God has done. Go back to the menu and look and go, This is what He's done. This is His goodness. Worship begins with consideration. It begins with this savoring. But worship doesn't end there. This worship that we consider, all these considerations, they didn't lead us to express. And the third thing I want you to get is worship is expressive. Worship is expressive. Now good old-fashioned Presbyterians, just hold on. You gotta understand this. I'm Presbyterian through and through. Born in a Presbyterian home to a Presbyterian pastor, grandchildren, grandchild of a Presbyterian elder, and a woman who was the head of the Southern Presbyterian Church's women's ministry. I'm about as Presbyterian as they come. Great uncle who served as a Presbyterian missionary in the Belgian Congo. Uh, I get it. But worship is to be expressive. There is an expression that has to come out. And it doesn't mean that everybody has to raise your hands. It doesn't mean that everybody has to shout Amen. But it does mean that maybe it's something more than the Presbyterian Amen, which is... "Mm." If I can get a little grunt, I'm thinking, man, maybe. Yeah. But David is saying this, worship is expressive. It is active participation by the Christian. And in this one, he gives us several words. He says, extol... In verse 1, bless in verse 1, praise, commend, and declare. He says, the Christian, when they consider God, when they savor Him for a moment, they will extol Him every day. To extol means to praise highly. To praise enthusiastically. Going into rapture about. Wax lyrical about. True worship, in other words, is defined by the priority We place on who God is in our lives and where God is in our list of priorities. That we praise Him enthusiastically. 
Are you worshiping and praising Him enthusiastically in your life? It's just a good question to ask. What in your life are you enthusiastic about? For so many people, there's nothing. And God is saying, I am worthy of enthusiasm. I am actually worthy of your enthusiasm. Extol Him. Then it says, bless His name forever. In the Scriptures, when God blesses men, they are helped by Him, strengthened and made better off. So to bless God can't mean that. Because God isn't helped or strengthened or made better off. Rather, man's blessing of God is an expression of praising his th- and with thankfulness. That it is to designate a process that aims at the increase of God's strength. It is an exclamation of gratitude and admiration. So to bless God means to recognize His great richness, strength, and gracious bounty. To express our gratitude and delight in seeing and experiencing it. That we extol Him. That we bless His name. That we praise Him. The word is halal, in which we get the word hallelujah. There are seven Hebrew words for praise, and he uses halal here. And it means to be clear, to praise, to shine, to boast about, to show, to rave, uh, or to celebrate God in this way. It is this incredible picture of worshiping God. And so we worship and praise Him. But it also says that we commend Him. It says that we commend Him to another generation. One generation commends Him to another. Interesting thing, the word commend is another word for praise. It's the word shabach, which means simply this, to shout, to address in loud tone, to command, and to triumph. So to praise God to another generation is to worship God in a way. It means to shout in a loud tone the excellencies and the glories of Him who called you from darkness into His glorious light. Isn't that awesome to think? And so I would ask you, older generations, are you shouting the praise of God to the generations below you? Or have you bought into the lie, the damnable lie, that religion and Christianity is a private matter? It's not private. Older generation, hear me. It's not private. We need to see you shouting out the praise of God in front of us. Quit with the stoicism. Quit with the lack of emotions. I need to see somebody in their 90s going, God's awesome! I love hanging out with older people who get it. Because I look and go, I want to be that much in love with my Savior at 90. I want to be moved that much in my 80s, in my 70s. I want to know that that is available for me. So please, From a younger generation to you, we need to see it. And if it's not there, you have to ask the question, if anything is there. And for my generation, there are younger ones down below us that need to see. Parents, do your children see you shouting out the praise of God to them? Praising Him in their life. We were with, yesterday, some friends. And one of my sons said to me, He said, Dad, it's awesome to have folks who are just a few years older than me who I can just be around because I see in them the life that is afforded to me in Christ. So for you who are living your life out in front of a younger generation, thank you. 
Because the universities and the schools are saying, get rid of that stuff. The church needs to say, oh, don't ever get rid of this stuff. It is life itself. Live it. Commend it one generation to another. And then declare the excellencies of God. You see, worship is the expression of our salvation. 1 Peter 2.9, and we've got to wrap up. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into light. Do you see why He saved you? One of the reasons? So that you will proclaim His excellencies. He did this great work of salvation so that you will proclaim His excellencies. <laughs> Think about that. Are you so overwhelmed that you are willing to, at some level, look silly before the world around you? That says, but this is what's all important. Folks, I invite you today to consider this table. For it is the heart of the Gospel that it moves us of God's great mercy and compassion towards us. And that we see it and we worship Him. We give Him value in that way. Show me a person who doesn't worship God with some sort of expression. Some deep movement of the affections. It doesn't mean that we all have to raise our hands. It doesn't mean that we all have to shout amen. But we're moved somehow, deep within, that expresses itself in worship. You show me a person who doesn't have any of that in, your, in their life, and I'll show you a person with a spiritual problem. There's a misunderstanding. Either you think too little of God and too highly of yourself, or you just think of yourself too much. And God says, consider me. And then He invites us to this table. And so I invite you to this table today. That this is the Lord's table. That our God is unlike any other God. That He said, I'm going to send my own Son into the world. That He would be crushed under my hand so that you wouldn't have to be. That He would pay a penalty of debt so that you won't. Because I'm a merciful and a kind God. And so I invite you to come to the table now. Prepare our hearts. Let's pray together.